0: How are we doing? Good, it's good to be here. If you want to go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to John 6, we're going to spend most of the morning there in John 6. Really, we're going to work our way through that whole chapter. But first, I'm going to do something a little different here. And I, want, I, want to, uh, I, want, I want to introduce you to somebody. I want to, I want to talk to you about Brittany Hamilton. Okay, Brittany Hamilton. Brittany Hamilton... Uh, is married to Justin Hamilton. They've been married for seven years. Uh, Justin's a basketball coach at a nearby college. They live in Virginia. They've got two kids, one boy and one girl. Uh, Cam's the boy and Channing is the girl. Channing was just born about six months ago and just recently started eating solid food, which made mom real happy. Okay? And, and Brittany's a little unique. Brittany prefers running shoes to flowers. Actually, on Valentine's Day this year... Uh, She had told her husband a long time ago, if you ever think you're going to pay $100 for flowers, forget about it. I'd rather have a nice pair of shoes. So her husband surprised her this Valentine's Day with a nice pair of Nikes, and she was really thrilled about it. Uh, She's a stay-at-home mom, but she sells weight loss products on the side. Uh, Currently, she's looking into getting some family photos done after she just had this new kid, but life's just been too busy to to get that done. Uh, She loves to shop at a place called Herman's for Produce. Uh, she loves fresh fruits and vegetables. And occasionally she's got a friend that's a, uh, a hair person, and, and occasionally she likes to get her hair dyed blonde. Uh, she absolutely loves her mother. Uh, she thinks her mother's a great cook, and she hopes that as she raises her two kids that she can be half of the lady that her mom is. And, uh, you know, recently we lost Pat Summit. She was a huge Pat Summit fan. Uh, and, in fact, when she was 11 years old, She washed dishes for an entire year, her and her sister, just so she could earn her way to Lady Valls camp because she wanted to be around Pat Summit. So that's a little bit about Brittany Hamilton, but I also want to let you in on a little secret about Brittany Hamilton. I got no clue who Brittany Hamilton is. I've never met Brittany Hamilton. Nobody in this room has met Brittany Hamilton, Okay. And I want us to understand that there's a difference between knowing about someone and knowing someone. See, all that information that we just learned about Brittany Hamilton, that took me about 10 minutes last night on Facebook. And so I could easily pass off that, yeah, I know Brittany. I can tell you about Brittany. I can tell you about some of the things she's done. She's got two kids. She's married. She loves her husband. She loves her mom. I can tell you a lot about her, but I don't know Brittany Hamilton. That's that's impersonal knowledge. Okay? It, it's, it's just an acquaintance. It's recognizable. So if somebody else said something about Brittany Hamilton, I might be able to say something in that conversation. But I do not know her. I just know about her. Okay? And I want you to ask yourself this question. What percentage of your relationships are exactly the same way? Where I don't really know somebody, I just know about them. So, so we, if we ask that question, we've got to ask the next question. What does it mean to really know someone? See, personal knowledge, not impersonal knowledge, but personal knowledge is this. To really know the aspects of someone's heart that's hidden to the general population. You know things about them that, that the general population doesn't know. You know how they feel. You know what their desires are. You know what they think about on a day-to-day basis. You have personal knowledge of that individual. So if we know what impersonal knowledge is and we know what personal knowledge is, we've we've got to ask ourselves this question. Do we know Jesus? Do we know Jesus Christ? Do we just have an impersonal knowledge, an impersonal relationship, or is it personal knowledge and a personal relationship? See, when we see who Jesus is, it transforms us into His image. I'm going to give you just a few scriptures today, not many. We're going to spend most of our time in John 6. But 2 Corinthians 3.18, you can write that down if you want to. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. So if we really know who Jesus is, not just know about Jesus, if we know who He is, it will transform us into His image. See, at Plant, Grow, Harvest, that's our goal. Our goal is for you to be transformed into the image of Christ. But in order for this to happen, you truly have to know Him, not just know about Him. So, for the next seven weeks that I'm up here, we're going to give you a little break so you don't get seven straight weeks a day because that would make some people want to jump off a cliff. But for the next seven weeks that I'm up here, we're going to look at what's known as the seven I Am statements of Jesus. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the true vine. And what we hope to find out by looking at those seven I am statements is this. What does it truly mean when Jesus says, This is who I am. It's our desire that you know Him and walk with Him daily. Not just know about Him, but truly know Him. So with that said, this week we're going to start with, I am the bread of life in John 6. If we look at John 6, verses 1 through 15, we see the story of feeding of the 5,000. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following Him because they saw the signs that He was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he already knew what Philip was going to say. And Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. And one of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? And Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in this place. So the men sat down, about five thousand in number. And Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So when we open in John 6, we see a large crowd that was following Jesus. And and we're told here in the scripture that we just read that this crowd was 5,000 people. But we've got to remember that only the men were counted. So the 5,000 were just the men. So if you think about it, the crowd was most likely between 10,000 to 15,000 people in number after you count the wives, the women, and the children. So think not 5,000, but ten to 15,000. And up to this point, if we just use the Gospel of John, in chapters 1 through 5, we've already seen the following. The miracle at the wedding where Jesus turns the water into wine. We see Jesus' interaction with the woman at the well. We see Jesus healing the official son. And we see Jesus healing the man at the pool of Bethesda. That's what we see in John 1-5. through 5. Now think about all the things that aren't written down that we don't see. All of the things that Jesus has done. And see, when you see and hear of great things that are done, a crowd begins to follow. Hence the 5,000 that's really ten to 15,000. The best analogy that I can give you is think about YouTube or Twitter. Right? Think about YouTube. If somebody posts a video on YouTube and it goes viral, it's real popular, it's funny or something, p- people are going to watch it. A large crowd is going to gather. And you see videos that have millions of views. It's the same kind of thing here. Jesus has done all of these signs and wonders, so a crowd has gathered. People want to see it. They couldn't hop on YouTube and see Jesus work a miracle, so they get off their fanny and they go track Him down. See, everybody in life is looking... For something. And all these 15,000 that are in the crowd believe that they have found life in Jesus. There's something to this guy. See, the older we get, the more precious that life gets. I'm not that old, but I understand that the older I get, it seems like the faster times goes by. I know I'm on a limited calendar. I'm on a limited clock. My days are going to run out. So life gets precious. So what are you looking for? What, what determines a fulfilled life for you? If you see that life is getting more precious the older that you get, how do you determine what a fulfilled life is? And think about these 15,000 in the crowd. Most likely a large number in this crowd had picked up everything. They had picked up their way of life. They had uprooted their families and they have decided to follow Jesus. I've seen the things that He has done, so I'm going to completely change my life pick it up, and I'm going to follow this man. But by the time that we get to the end of chapter 6 today, in, in verse 66, we see that the thousands that were in this crowd had been almost immediately reduced to dozens. So you've got thousands of people following Jesus. They've uprooted their life, and by the time you get to the end of chapter 6, those thousands are now down to only dozens. So we've got to ask ourselves, what happened? No, I would, I would call that a bad day. I, I've got a lot of people following me and by the end of the day, everybody's turned around and left. What's happened? Here's what happened and here's what we're going to dive into. That large crowd that was looking for life, they had picked up their life and they were following Jesus because they had looked for life. And Jesus offered them a definition of life that they couldn't accept. So they turned and they walked away. And Jesus exposes the emptiness of the life that they were truly after. And we're going to specifically look at three things today that Jesus exposed. He exposed, one, He exposed their need. Two, He exposed their motivation. And three, He finally exposed their allegiance. So as we move on in the story, verse 22. you are not seeking me, not because of the signs you saw, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do, you work? do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? If we really want to understand what's going on here in John 6, we've got to truly understand some context. There's a little backstory that we have to understand, and it's over in Exodus 16. And you can just make note of that, Exodus 16. But here we're, we're looking at, at the Israelites who have made their exodus out of Egypt. And it only, t- it only had taken them six weeks. They're, they're in s- captivity for years, they're slaves in Egypt. Life is not good. But often, just like us, they, they get let out of captivity, and it only takes them six weeks to start complaining. In, in Exodus 16, verse 3, And the people of Israel said to them, What that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Here's, here's what they're saying. Slavery was bad, but it wasn't going to kill us. And at least we could have a decent meal. You've drug us out here in the middle of the desert, and instead, we're going to die of hunger. This is miserable. So in verse 4, God provides. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them, whether they walk in my law or not. So this is where God provides the manna from heaven. And it was bread from heaven. And manna actually means... What is it? Because they didn't know what it was. If I saw bread falling from the sky, I'd probably ask the same question. What is this? So, so if we fast forward back to John 6 and you see this crowd, th- there was a thought and there was a belief at the time that th- they knew all about the story in Exodus. They, they even mention it here. And, and there was a thought that when the Messiah does come, when the true Messiah does come, He's going to bring bread from heaven, just like was provided in the Exodus. See, and in this, in their minds, it was their simple little minds. It was the same thing. Bread's going to fall from heaven. When 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 the Messiah comes, more bread is going to fall from heaven. And so, when they're hungry, like we talked about several weeks ago, you think about the large crowd. They're away from home. Jesus is teaching them. Think about thirty minutes from now you're going to start thinking, I'm hungry. Where am I going to get food? What am I going to do? So the crowd's thinking the same thing. So Jesus performs the miracle and provides bread for the crowd. So it triggers a light bulb in the back of their head. Hey, remember back in Exodus when God provided the manna from heaven? Well, the Messiah is going to provide bread for us. Hey, this is our guy. This is our guy. If you want to do a study on your own, some some things that you can write down I encourage you to do on your own there are a lot of parallels between Jesus Christ and the manna that was provided in Exodus and here's just a few of them both came from heaven the manna fell from heaven and Jesus Christ descended from heaven both were free gifts from God the Israelites didn't have to do anything to earn the manna and we don't have to do anything to earn the gift of grace from Jesus Christ both were given exclusively to Israel but they were gathered individually. See, the people had to go out and get their manna. Just like we have to believe in Jesus Christ for our salvation. There's no such thing as collective salvation. My grandmother was a Christian, so I'm going to heaven. It doesn't work that way. See, it's a free gift, but we have to collect it individually. Both were despised by the people. We'll see here shortly where the people already grow sick of the manna. Just like the Jews despise Jesus. Both had no saving power until they were ground and baked. See, the the Israelites couldn't do anything with the manna until they ground it down and they baked it into a cake. And Jesus Christ couldn't provide salvation for us until He was ground up and hung on a cross. Both were preserved on on the Sabbath. If you look down further in Exodus 16, two days' worth of manna was provided on the day before the Sabbath so that they didn't have to gather the Sabbath. And both were presented to God. The manna was placed in the Ark of the Covenant. And Jesus Christ was presented to God on the cross for us. So just some parallels between Christ and the manna that you can study on your own. There's, there's so much here we don't have time to go over. But if we go back to the, the scripture that we just read, specifically uh, in verse 25 through 27, Jesus knows the heart of the people. And, and here's where he begins to, to expose them. And he basically calls out the crowd and he says, you're not, you're not here. You're not here because you want me. You're here because your stomachs were full from the bread. And, and all you want is more bread. So here he exposes their need. And, and it kind of parallels Isaiah 55 five two. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligent to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. So Isaiah is saying, why why do you labor for things? Why are you seeking out things that don't satisfy? And here Jesus exposes their need. He says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. He's, He's telling them, what you perceive as your need. We talked about this a few weeks ago. What you perceive as your need... It's not really your need. You're, you're looking to the wrong thing. See, see, John here could use, there was two words for, the, for life that John could have used. And we talked about this two weeks ago. Bios, B-I-O-S, which means physical or material life. Physical or material things. And if you look in Luke 8, there's a story of the woman who's bleeding. And, and it talks about how she goes from Doctor to doctor to doctor, and she spends all of her life trying to get this situation healed before she comes to Jesus. And the word that, that is used there in the Greek is bios. She uses all of her money, all of her assets, all of the people that she knows. Every possible solution that she can find is what she uses to try to feel that need, to try to meet that need. The other word is zoe, Z-O-E, which speaks of eternal life. This is the word that John uses here in, in chapter 6. And what Jesus is really saying is you have a hunger. He's telling the crowd, listen, you, ca- you came not because you wanted me, because, just because you wanted more bread. But what you don't realize is you have a hunger that transcends your physical hunger. A thirst that transcends your physical thirst. You're worried about the wrong thing. See, you have a zoe need. You have an eternal need. That you are trying to fill with a BIOS solution. You're trying to fill it with bread. And it's going to fail you. Because tomorrow you're going to be hungry again. You're concerned with your stomach. And I'm concerned with your heart. I'm looking out for your eternal need. And all you're worried about is is your current physical need. So Jesus is exposing, exposing their need. See, it's real simple. We all look at our lives and, and if we're honest, if we look in the mirror and we're honest from day one, we understand that something is wrong. We understand that there's a hole to fill, that that we're looking for something. I had a chance this this past week, me and the boys got to go to the beach and and it was kind of funny because we're we're standing in the ocean, you know, as far as, as far as the kids can go out, and, and Brody is standing there. He's standing right there in, in the waves as they're coming. I mean, he's looking at them head on. And this little bitty wave comes in and just clips him on the legs. And, and immediately, no prompting, he, l- he looks at the ocean and he's like, Come on, waves! And the next one, huge wave comes in and knocks him down. And, and I'm thinking in that moment, as I'm, I'm preparing for this too, I'm thinking, are, are we any different than that? Yeah we recognize that we have a need but for some reason we tend to think that we're in control that that I have a problem but I'm going to find the solution because I can fix this There's there's a Christian song out right now that I really enjoy that says sometimes I've got to stop and remember that you're God and I am not How often do we we think this is a problem, but but I've got this. I'm going to find the solution. What we have to realize is that doesn't work. We're trying to fill our zoe need, our eternal need, with something else. And Jesus is telling them, whatever you're looking for, whatever you're looking to for life, that's what you're feasting on. And if you, if you find your life in things that perish, if what is so important to you, if how you define yourself comes out of things that will perish, you will never be filled. Because you need an eternal solution for your eternal need. If we go on in, in verse 28 to 34, if we look at that again, then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in Him who He have sent. So then he said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the man in the wilderness, is it written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread, but my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. See, the people are still looking for that bread falling from the sky. They don't get it. They're missing it. And and how often, we have to ask ourselves, how often are we missing it? How often are we trying to fill an eternal need with a physical solution that will fade? We have to recognize our need. We have to recognize our need. Number two, Jesus exposes their motivation. In in what we just read, Jesus is exposing their motivation. He's, He's saying, listen... You're here because of the benefits that you get from me, not because of the relationship that you get with me. You're not looking for a relationship. You're just looking for benefits. And what do they talk about here in that, in that passage we just read? What do we have to do? What, what is the work that we have to do? See, when you remove relationship, all you have left to do is work. When there is no relationship, all you have left to do is work. It's this consumer mindset that we often fall into. See, the people only see Jesus as a middleman where they can get things from him. It's, it's that impersonal relationship that we talked about. Now, I, just, I, just, I don't want to really know who you are. I just want to know about you. And as long as I can get my stuff, I'll be happy. It's an impersonal relationship and an impersonal religion. If, if we're in this for the benefits of Christianity but not the Christ of Christianity, then we're going to be that person that misses it just like these people. We're going to miss it. We're going to be that person that never drinks, that never eats, and we're just going to be motivated by whatever it is that you're motivated by. It can be guilt. It can be, I'm going to be good enough, self-righteousness. It can just be my emotions. It can be friends and family. My friends go to church on Sunday, so I'm going to go. Culture, we live in the Bible field. Sunday, it's what I'm supposed to do. If people see me go to church, they're going to think about me differently. Maybe they'll think I'm a good person, or maybe I'm just a moralist, so I'm going to try to be the best person I can be, and I'm always going to try to do what's right. And if this is who we are, if this is us, there, there will be a disparity between the public appearance of our relationship with Christ and the private reality of it. I want you to hear that. There will be a disparity between the public appearance of our relationship with Christ and the private reality of it. And here's what that means. I talk a lot about God, but I don't talk to God. I talk a lot about God's Word, but I don't really read God's Word. And all the time, all that I believe is that it matters more what people think than what God thinks. I want you to hear something. You can fool a lot of people, but you cannot fool God. You can fool a lot of people, but you cannot fool God. And this impersonal knowledge, this I'm just going to go through the motions... It can change your schedule. It can change what you do. Well, I go to church on Sunday. That's what I do. Maybe I go on Wednesday nights because that's what I do. But it's not going to change your heart. Relationships change people. Okay? Things don't change people. Relationships change people. A- as a coach, I can tell you, if, if I, I, this next year will be the 15th year that I've, I've been a high school baseball coach. And if you, if you look back, 15 years is a long enough time to look back. And if, if I met, say the first five years, if, if, I, if, I, if I got to go to dinner with a bunch of those guys from the first five years, the, th- the things that we would talk about for the majority of that dinner would be a relationship. It would be the things that we did together. It would be the silly things that happened at practice. Or that time that coach got so mad and we didn't know what he was going to do. Or It would be the relationship part. It, we would never sit in that room and talk about, you know, for five minutes we might talk about, remember when we won that game? Remember when we did this? But for the majority of the time, we're going to talk about relationship because relationship is what changes people. A relationship with Christ is what changes you. It's not just knowing about Him, it's a relationship that's going to change you. Being transformed into the image of Christ, remember, that's our goal. Being transformed into the image of Christ doesn't happen without that relationship. It's impossible. It doesn't come by wanting things from Jesus. Hey, man, what am I going to get from you? It comes from wanting Him. So the question you have to ask yourself, Jesus exposes their motivation. He calls them out. You're not here because you want me. You're here because you want more bread. The question you have to ask yourself is, what is your motivation? Do I recognize my need? And what is my motivation? If we move on to verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Here's where he exposes their allegiance. He offers the crowd a definition of life that they simply can't accept. And here's basically what he's telling them. I didn't come to bring you bread. I know that's why you're here. I know you're here to fill your stomachs. But I didn't come to bring bread. I came to be the bread. I didn't come to just improve your life, to make tomorrow just a little better for you. That's not why I'm here. I came to be your life. And he even goes a step further by saying this. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And here at the, at the root of what he's saying, this is it. I am all you need. I am what you lo- are looking for. Whether you realize it or not. I am what you are looking for. To have me and to have nothing else is to have everything. So turn from whatever you're looking to for life and turn to me. And if you go on down through, through to verse 58, which for the sake of time, I want you to study that on your own, but basically he spends those 20 odd verses breaking down what he just said. I am the bread of life explaining that. And he says, I am what you need. Turn from what you're looking to for life and come to me. And the people basically say, no, that's not for us. No thanks. See, see, Jesus, when it's you and the bread, when, it, when it's you and, and we're getting the bread, we're getting that physical benefit, I'm getting something from you, man, that's a good time, Jesus. And, and that, that's what we're all about. But when it comes to pledging our allegiance to you, we, we're out. We're going to walk away. I don't know if that's something that I can do. And we see that in verse 60. If we go all the way down to verse 60. When many of His disciples had heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Who can accept it? No, we can't accept that, Jesus. We can't do it. Here, here's the crazy thing. Think about this. Where we're at in John 6 in Jesus' ministry is, is roughly two years in. We are roughly two years in, so there had to be a portion of this crowd who had picked up their life and had been following Jesus for two years, two whole years, and they missed it. For two years, they missed what Jesus was really trying to tell them, what what Jesus was really trying to be for them. They wanted Jesus to conform to their own image and to their own expectations. They want Jesus to be what they wanted Him to be. They were right around Jesus. They were with Him for two years. They were impacted by Him. But they missed Him. And as a result, they missed life. We've got to ask ourselves the question, is that who we are? Do we know all about Jesus? Are we in church on Sunday? Do we hear about Him? Are we impacted by Him? But do we miss Him? Do we think, I've got all I need? That, that Walmart mentality. I, I can just run down to Walmart and get whatever I need. You know, I don't think about Jesus providing my needs or, or God providing my needs. I just, if I need something, I'm just going to go get it. No thanks, Jesus. What do I need Jesus for? I'm not willing to pledge my allegiance to Jesus because I'm not willing to give up blank. You fill in the blank. Whatever it is. 1 Corinthians 11, 23 and 24. When we're, when we're having communion, we often reference this. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when He was betrayed took bread... And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do in remembrance of me. You need to understand that Jesus is the only bread that will break for you. All other bread, all the other things that I'm looking to for life, they will break me. It will leave me broken and it will perish. It will fade away. Jesus is the only bread that will break for you. Go back to Exodus. God provided the manna, and it was enough for the Israelites daily. Today we are provided Christ as the true bread for heaven, and it is enough for us daily. Psalm 119, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. We talked about a couple of weeks ago how if I have a lamp, okay, we, I, we went to the beach this, this week about nine thirty one night and we had a little lamp and so the lamp provided just enough light for us to take our next step it, it didn't flash out a hundred feet in front of us it provided us enough light for, for one more step and just like that Jesus, Jesus is, is provided to us as the true bread from heaven and it is enough for us daily we can't come in on Sunday and get our fill for the whole week I've got to seek him daily In Numbers 11, 4-6, we see this. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving, and the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we may have meat to eat. Remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing? The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up, and there is nothing but all of this manna to look at. See, the Israelites rejected the manna that God provided. Will we do the same thing and reject Jesus Christ that God provided? See, his closest disciples knew that he was enough. If we go down to verses 66 through 69. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So we've got a crowd of 15,000 people. And after this teaching, many of those turned and no longer walked with him. So Jesus turns to the twelve and he looks at them and he says, You want to leave too? These 15,000 people have just left. Uh, You're going to leave too? And we see Simon Peter say this, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. See, those core group of disciples knew that He was enough. And in all of this, we we are shown two things. We see what false belief is, and we see what true belief is. See, false belief is hardened by the Word of God, by the truth of God. In verse 60, we see it. This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Jesus says, I am all you need. And false belief simply walks away. And we also see true belief with His core group of disciples. Your words are life. True belief is this, I am broken, but through Jesus Christ I am sustained. True belief doesn't have it all figured out. I don't have all the answers. Peter didn't have all the answers. Peter was saying, thinking the same thing that the crowd was thinking. Man, this is a hard teaching. But he says, to whom shall we go? True belief doesn't have all the answers, but it simply trusts. Peter says, who has, who has what you have, Jesus. We've come to the understanding that Jesus Christ is enough. He did, and we have to do the same thing. As a Christian, I want you to think about this. Think about all the times in your life that that may have gotten difficult, but He has sustained you. On the flip side of that, think about this. Think about all the times that you've tried to do it out of your own strength and hit bump after bump after bump after bump. If you're in this room today and you're a non-believer, think about this. Think about all the times that you've had this thought. There's got to be a better way to do this. There's got to be more to this and there's got to be a better way. I want you to really focus in on what Peter was saying. And I'm going to take a little liberty here, but imagine, Peter says, to whom shall we go? To whom shall we go? And and if we could fast forward to the end of Jesus' ministry, I think this is really what Peter is saying. What rabbi would teach us like you? Who has authority like you? See, Jesus, we saw you walk on water. Who has power like you? We we were there. We heard you with the woman at the well. Who has mercy like you? I I wouldn't have talked to her. But we, we were there and we saw you. Who has mercy like you? We saw you in all the mobs, in all the crowds. Who has courage like you? We heard you weeping in the garden. Who has faith like you? You knew what was going to happen. We saw you nailed to the cross. Who has a love like you? We heard you speak forgiveness into your enemies. Who has grace like you? We saw you defeat death. Who has victory like you? And we didn't want you to leave, but we saw you ascend to the right hand of the Father. Who rules like you? And you you know what? We know that you're going to return. We know that you're going to bring restoration to everything and ultimate defeat to your enemies. Who has an ending like you? Where would we go? Where would we go? Understand this you can make your life about your job you can make it about your kids you can make it about your body your hobby or or anything else you name it you can make your life about anything else but you're going to end up just as empty as when you started because Jesus is the only bread that will break for you think think about the broken world that we're living in think about just this past week think about Dallas think about all that went down The week before that, think about Orlando. Just think about locally. Think about the drug issue locally, the crime issue locally. We're living in a broken world, and, and where does all that come from? Everybody is looking to something for life. But when we don't seek Jesus for life, we're missing it. We're missing the answer. So, I can place... I can, I can make my life about anything else and end up as empty as when I started. Or, I can come to the bread of life. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I can come to Him and I can thirst no more. That We have to understand, there is no life outside of Jesus. So ask yourself this morning, what is your bread? What are you looking to for life? Is it a Savior substitute? Like I mentioned at the beginning, at Plant Grow Harvest, it's our desire that you truly know Jesus—not just know about Him, but truly know Jesus. Not an impersonal knowledge, but a personal knowledge and a relationship that will transform your life and impact other people around you. So, how is this practical? How do I make it real? Well, the first step is, is you have to make a decision for Him. I have to become a follower of Christ. Am I going to do like the crowd and turn and walk away, or am I going to choose to pledge my allegiance to Christ? Do you understand that He is all that you need, and that He is ready and He is willing to shower you with grace? And if you've already made that decision, and you are resting in Him, ask yourself this, Is He my bread? Not just my bread on Sunday. Is He my bread daily? Are my day-to-day decisions filtered through Him? Does He play a part in my everyday life? Am I only looking for benefits that I can get from Him? You know, what can I get? That consumer mentality. Or am I longing for a relationship with Him that will transform my life? See, as a coach, I, one of the things that I tell my guys is... The sooner that you figure out that this is not about you, the better off that you're going to be. The sooner that you can figure out that this is not about you, the better off that you're going to be. See, if your life is transformed by Jesus Christ, then it's going to have an impact on the world around you. Jesus Christ said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me will never thirst. Do you trust him today? Do you believe that? Do I know Jesus or do I simply know about Jesus? I'm gonna pray and and, and just for a minute, I just want us to be quiet, some time to think about what we've heard. If if that's a decision that you would like to make today, man, we would love to talk to you about that. You know, you've heard us say it before today is a day of your salvation. There is no better day than today for you to declare that Jesus is the bread of life and He's going to be the bread of my life. You know, as we're praying, if you want to come up to the front row and have a seat, we'd love to talk to you about it or if you just want to catch us after. But, but truthfully, you know, our, our society is so fast-paced and, and everything's moving so fast and it's going to be so easy for you to leave here today and for, and for something else to, to take priority in your life. But but spend a few minutes sincerely with yourself. Is Jesus Christ my bread? Do I know Him? And as we move through these next six weeks and look at these I Am statements, it's my hope that, and it's our hope here at Plant, Grow, Harvest, that you truly know who Jesus is.
1: Bread of life. The slam of God.
0: So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Do, do you want to leave too? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Do you recognize that, that Jesus Christ has the words of eternal life? Are we going to be like the crowd and, and turn and walk away? In, in Matthew twenty-eight seventeen. 16 and 17. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. True, true belief doesn't have all the answers, but true belief is, is going to trust. So even if you have doubt, am I going to trust that He is the bread of life? Or am I going to allow that doubt to push me away and, and walk away like the crowd? Again, if you if you would like to... To talk about making a decision for him today or if, if you dislike prayer or if anything's on your heart we'd love to talk with you after a service um, we want you to stay and eat with us and fellowship with us so we can get to know you but i pray that you'll spend some time this week and really dive into john six on your own and do i understand that jesus is the bread of life and if i have him i have everything that i need dear heavenly father we thank you for this time that we've had to study your word and and we thank You for Your gift of Jesus Christ. How He came for us and died on the cross for our sins so that we may receive salvation. A gift that we didn't deserve. But that You lavish that grace upon us for reasons that we can't understand. But Lord, we're so grateful for it. Thank You for the bread of life. Thank You that in a crazy world we can have an anchor that we can cling to. Thank You, Lord, that we have so many problems and that there are many days that life isn't easy, but that we know the answer. So many people are wandering around, wondering what the answer is. There's got to be a better way. There's got to be more to this. We thank you, Lord, that we know the answer and that it's the bread of life. Lord, we ask you to bless this food today. And I ask that, that your word will, will resonate in the hearts of those that are here and that will, it will sink deeply and penetrate and just marinate for the week to come, Lord, that, that we may have a fire in our belly to, to, to dive into Your Word and to just study and to draw closer to You. Lord, we thank You for who You are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.